I'll ask you to turn your Bibles to Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And if you're visiting with us today, I want to let you know that we have been in a series working our way through this letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And our focus this morning will be on verses 12 to 16. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what was Timothy's calling in life? Two, what were the two most important things that Timothy must do? Three, how can you be a good example to others? And four, what Bible verses have you memorized that you can share with others? First Timothy chapter 4, I'd like to begin reading in verse 6. We'll read verse 6 down to the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. And Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you have spoken to us and that in your kindness and your mercy and your love for us, you've had... Uh, that which we need to know for faith and life, for godliness, all we need to know about you and about ourselves and about the way of salvation has all been recorded to us in your holy word. And so we're so thankful. And as we come to the preaching of your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would work mightily in our midst, giving us clarity of mind, both for the preacher and the hearer, that we would not only hear, but receive and act upon that which we'll hear this morning. Minister to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a letter written to a young pastor who's ordained and gifted, a young pastor who is called to oversee the church in Ephesus. He's given a great task. Uh, much of the letter itself is geared towards his ministry, and so there are things here for those who would be leaders in the church 
some things that are specific towards Timothy himself, but there are also things here that apply to all of us. But throughout the letter, it's been something of a, of a challenge to distinguish between those things that are unique to Timothy and his calling, his place, his time, from those things that apply to leaders down through the ages in our time, and then those things that apply to all believers. We'll see in our passage this morning that the first part certainly deals with all believers, but the second two parts deal specifically with men who are called to the ministry. So I'll put it this way, a number of things apply to everyone that we can focus on, but what we really have here, at least immediately for Timothy and for anyone called to the ministry, pastors in particular, we have here laid out for us the way a pastor is to look at himself. And then in turn, what a congregation can expect to see in their pastors. We begin with a reminder that Paul gives to Timothy. He reminds him, he doesn't need to be reminded of this, this, that he's young. He's probably in his late 20s, mid to early 30s. That apparently caused a problem for some because very often elders were older and they would look down on the younger ones as if they weren't experienced or knowledgeable enough to actually hold such an important position. But Timothy was well equipped and so Paul doesn't want him to be intimidated by that issue. He's been called to the ministry. He's been ordained. He's been prophesied over that he's going to be this preacher, and then they ordain him. The elders lay their hands on him. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of a giver passing on a gift to the receiver. In this case, it's not men, elders, passing on a gift they have to the preacher, but they're kind of instruments, conduits through which the blessing of God goes on the man ordained to a position. Having been through that more than once, uh, it's hard to explain just what that feeling is of being ordained when you have a number of godly men lay their hands on you and pray over you and commission you to be a preacher. Our elders have experienced it. Our deacons have experienced it. And then Paul points out that he was gifted. He was gifted. All Christians are given gifts from the Lord. Timothy is specifically gifted for the ministry. Now, in case you're wondering about the rather silly title of my sermon, the, the charismatic Presbyterian, here's why. Because that word gift is the word charisma. And every Christian has charisma, gifts from God. And the word for elder is presbyter, so we are charismatic Presbyterians. I have no idea what people thought when they drove past our church and saw that emblazoned on our electronic sign. We know who we are. I also wonder, yesterday was a, a really amazing experience. This parking lot, the back parking lot, and this road was filled with cars. Oh, that would be that way on Sunday, but uh, half of Hamilton was here taking pictures for prom over in that park and I wonder what they thought when they saw the sign knowing me charismatic Presbyterian uh, nonetheless those things do go together and we can't be ashamed of that so so Timothy's called he has a unique position uh, somewhat unique in that there's a special gravity on him more than the average pastor because he's he's in a sense a an apostolic representative in Ephesus he's not an apostle himself but Paul is putting this mantle of authority on him. 
And yet at the same time, these things apply to anyone who would be a pastor. And as I said, there will be things that apply to all of us. And Paul is quite adamant in what he says. Highly active, as someone put it, highly active and strong commands for the basic pastor. For the basic pastor. A lot of churches add a lot of things to what their pastor is supposed to do. And some pastors are superheroes who seem to be able to do all kinds of things. But here we have the basic pastor, the simple pastor. And if a church has a simple pastor who's faithful to what he's called to do, they have a lot. Now there's a lot put on pastors by God himself, by Paul here. And the first thing that Paul says is that he's supposed to be an example to others. He's supposed to be an example to others. Like it or not, the pastoral position is under constant scrutiny. Constant scrutiny. And you might be able to imagine the kind of pressure and the kind of burden that would be were it not for grace. Pressure to perform Pressure to have an air of piety. I've seen it, and I've done it. Given into the pressure, and put the pressure on myself. And so you can imagine that without the grace of God, without a pastor understanding the grace of God at work in him, what a burden it would be to try to be an example to a whole congregation, large or small. And without the grace of the congregation, a pastor doesn't have any hope because he'll be under scrutiny and everything he does will be scrutinized and maybe criticized. So the pastor has to keep some very important things in mind so he doesn't put pressure on himself and so the congregation in the same way doesn't put pressure on the pastor unduly. Making ministry a burden for the pastor, making a ministry a burden for the pastor's wife or making Uh, It a burden for pastor's kids applying a double standard because the pastor's wife and the pastor's kids are supposed to be on these pedestals and super well behaved, let alone the pastor himself. In turn, the pastor has to make sure that he's scrutinizing himself very closely, guarding his own heart, keeping in mind constantly that he lives and moves and have his, has his presence in the presence of God. Sorry, that he lives and moves in the presence of God. And God is the one who ultimately matters. And God is the one who sees all things. Pastor needs to be constantly on guard, guarding his heart, making sure that his motives are right, making sure that he's sincere towards God and sincere towards the people. And the next things we're going to see are things that should be Constant items of prayer for pastors. Maybe sound like I'm speaking to myself. Nothing wrong with preaching to yourself. In fact, I'm of the philosophy that if a preacher can't preach to himself, he has no business preaching to anyone else. But I can say that if there were young pastors here, I would be much more direct and much more pointed in the things I'm going to say, which I won't do here this morning. This is not a charge to pastors, so to speak. But the first thing pastor needs to concern himself with is what's going on inside. Jesus, in so many different places, points out that it's what's inside that matters and what's inside will come out. 
And so the pastor needs to examine his heart constantly. Going under this process of sanctification. Understanding that his heart has to be right. And as Jesus says, those things that come out of us come from the heart. And so there's a list of five things here that Paul points out. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. And you'll see how these things apply to us all, but the pastor very specifically needs to concern himself with these things, his speech. Even before words come out of the mouth, am I thinking before I'm speaking? Am I weighing my words? When I think about the regular conversation that I'm having with people, is what's going to come out of my heart and my mind the fact that I truly do believe in God, that I truly do believe that Jesus is my Savior, and that I truly do believe that my life is to glorify Him. You all, we all need to ask ourselves those very questions. What's going on in, in my heart, the pastor has to ask himself. What about my conduct? What about the things I'm going to do? Simple question, who am I living for? And how does that affect my lifestyle? Who am I in Christ? Love. Love. Do I genuinely care for others? Do I genuinely care for others? Do I really have their best interest in mind? You see these self-examination things apply to us all. But here Paul is saying, if you're going to be a pastor, you need to make sure these things are in place. Purity, or I'm sorry, faith is next. Do I trust God? Do I believe in God? The way that I tell people to all the time. Is that really the faith that I have in my heart? Purity. Do I resist my own corrupted desires? Do I regularly flee temptation? Do I stay uninfluenced by worldly things that would distract me from God? Am I constantly aware of the devil's wiles and his schemes to entangle me? And do I have the full armor of God in place? You see, you see that it is for pastors, but it's for you too. But you see, what comes from inside flows out. And so when we hear our own words coming out, are they words that sanctify and edify? Pastors shouldn't try to adopt some other kind of accent in their speech, shouldn't speak some language of Zion, shouldn't try to speak in some King James English, use all kinds of Christian ease. At the same time, they're not to be dour or humorless, but just plain and simple edifying speech. Paul says in Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then conduct, behavior. How do I carry myself? How do I interact with others? What things do I use my time for that are legitimate and what things are illegitimate? How do I act towards others? Do I act with decorum or do I act like an idiot? 
What is my conduct like? What is my love like? Is it evident by the way I interact towards others? Do I display a genuine heart concern for others? Is my faith evident to other people? or, Or do I openly fret and worry and complain and have fears like those who don't have any hope? Am I like that person that's filled with anxieties and hang-ups because I haven't trusted God really in my heart? Is that evident? Things that pastors really need to ask themselves. In purity, maybe that's the most obvious one. Again, it's not as if pastors should be on some puritanical, I don't use that word normally negatively, I love the Puritans, but some puritanical, some puritanical high horse. Holier than thou. That's a pressure pastors can put on themselves, but often it's a mask. It probably really is a mask if that's the case, but it's also pressure that other people can put on the pastor. And so you have all these things where where a pastor needs to be right in his speech and his conduct and his love and his faith and then purity, discerning and careful with what he exposes himself to and and what he does, that he would be above reproach. And all of this is in context of being a sinner. Struggles with sin. Striving in light of that, relying on grace to be holy, to live holy lives like everyone else is. I've never had anyone protest in any of my congregations when I've said, you need to know your pastor is a sinner. No one's ever protested. But there is this call, isn't there, for all of us to pursue holiness and righteousness. And so our lives are to glorify God. And the pastor's life is to glorify God. Our children are learning An old chorus. It's a simple, super simple chorus, but it's meaningful and convicting, and you probably know it. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified today. In my song, Lord, be glorified, be glorified, be glorified. In my song, Lord, be glorified, be glorified today. In my church, Lord, be glorified, etc. It's all about the glory of God. And that's what all of our lives are about. And I haven't even gotten to the ministry part yet. And you might be saying, well, one of the ministry parts you need to get to is the importance of brevity in sermons. But I'm going to emphasize some of the ministry parts now. The basic pastor is not only to be exemplary in his life, but he's to be focused in his ministry. Essentials for pastors that the pastors need to keep in mind and congregations need to keep in mind. It amazes me the extra stuff and expectations that some churches put on their pastors. It also amazes me in some churches on how little some churches put on their pastors. And so a well-balanced church is hard to find, and so is a well-balanced pastor. 
But there are some very simple things that every pastor is called to do without compromise. The ones I haven't listed is to guard the gospel. It's one of Timothy's main calling to guard the gospel, to make sure that is the truth and only the truth that is preached and taught in the church that he's to oversee. And the second thing that I didn't mention in your outline is to shepherd along with the elders to genuinely care and oversee the people. But the two things that Paul mentions here is the reading of God's word and the preaching of God's word. Two essentials that must be in place. I'm sorry, there are three. Guard the gospel, um, read the scriptures publicly, preach the word, and teach. Reading the word, as our confession says, with reverence and godly fear. Reverence and godly fear. As far more sacred than any words that we speak on our own. Preachers are, are to be gifted to communicate God's word. But when it comes to reading God's word, we're doing something that's sacred, if I dare say it, above preaching. Because God's word is inspired in an errant and infallible it's the very breath of God. And so when we read God's word, we do so with reverence and godly fear. Preach the word. Read the word. So many churches anymore are kind of doing away with the Bible itself, but even reading of the word. And I'll use an extreme example. That's, that's kind of a ridiculous thing, but that sticks in my mind once I saw a so-called preacher stand in front of a congregation of thousands of people, thousands of people. And he literally stood here with his Bible and he read one line from somewhere in the Bible and then he started to chuckle. And he basically walked around with his Bible and started laughing more and more until the whole congregation of these thousands of people were all laughing like a bunch of fools and idiots, falling on the floor, some barking like dogs, laughing themselves to death. Now, that's an extreme example, but I will say this. When so-called preachers stand in pulpits and they don't preach the word of God and they don't preach Christ, their people may not be falling in the aisles and barking like dogs, but they may have them laughing themselves to death, eternal death, because they're not telling them the truth. And so we go from the reading of the word to the preaching of the word. And the preaching of the word by the time of the New Testament becomes very centrally focused on the person of Christ, the gospel. And if a pastor is not preaching Christ, he's not preaching the gospel, and he should stop preaching or repent and get it right. So the pastor has to think of the content, the whole counsel of God, Genesis to Revelation, with all its aspect, but always focusing on the work of Jesus Christ. Preaching in a way that edifies believers and encourages them in the faith, but also calling sinners to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But every pastor has to weigh his words very carefully. I want you to think about this. So consider the pastor who preaches two times on Sunday, 
hopefully fresh and new sermons, maybe sometimes during the week as well. Consider how many sermons that would be over a pastorate of, say, 40 years. That's a lot of sermons. That's a lot of talk. Proverbs says, where words are many, sin is not absent. I am a firm believer that, that preachers are the most prolific speechwriters and the most prolific public speakers in our nation, if not the world. We talk a lot. Some of us don't talk a lot outside of the pulpit, but we talk a lot in the pulpit. These words come to bear on a pastor when Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your word you will be justified, and by your word you will be condemned. And as James says, not many of you should become teachers, for you know we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now the preacher needs to be gifted to preach, but I can tell you I would much rather listen to someone who stumbled over their words and told me the truth than some smooth smooth-tongued, power-of-positive preacher, motivational speaker. It's not what pastors are called to do. Pastors who are true preachers rely on this thing called unction. And not really be able, being able to explain it well, unction is basically the fact that the Holy Spirit works through the power of the word, through the messenger, and through that the souls of the people are engaged. There is no human way that a human being could stand in this pulpit and touch your soul. Preachers can stimulate your mind. People might Preachers might be able to move your heart, but they can't touch your soul. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We rely on that. Many other elements of preaching. If you know me, you know I could go on and on about preaching. And then there's teaching. Teaching's a little different. Teaching offers the opportunity to get more input, to get a closer analysis to give a little more time, to get questions and answers. That's the, the nice part about preaching. There are no questions until after the sermon. And preaching here, I guess you're about three feet over contradiction, three feet above contradiction. Uh, preaching, you're usually on eye level. So, But teach the word. Make sure that people are understanding the word. All those things need to be in place. And then, then he says, immerse yourself Immerse yourself in your call. Immerse yourself. Like any of you who have, have a job that you love or a talent that you love or a sport that you love or a, a musical instrument that you love, you immerse yourself in it. That's what pastors are supposed to do, not to be distracted by all kinds of other things. There's a danger in immersing yourself in something like the ministry because it can very easily become the definition, the identity of who you are. And pastors sometimes end up becoming, that's all I am. I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor. 
I'm a one-dimensional character. Sometimes churches can see their pastors as that's the only life they have. This isn't the place to get into the psychological effect of being a pastor and immersing yourself too much as if it's the only thing you are and the only thing you do. But the issue here is the seriousness of the call to the pastorate. There's no room to mess around. It's great, great responsibility. Requires the right character, requires taking the responsibility. And a faithful minister, or for that matter, I guess I need to say it, an unfaithful minister will have an impact, will have an influence. Because for the people that are willing to listen to public speakers, they're, they're going to be influencers in their life. But Paul is saying here that if you're persistent in these things, if you're consistent in the things that a preacher is supposed to do, it will be good for your own sake, for your own soul, for your, your best efforts, though you'll fail sometimes, you'll have a clear conscience that in doing what you're doing and being faithful to it, you're honoring God, but it will also benefit others. It will benefit others. And maybe that's the most intimidating aspect of being a preacher, is how am I affecting others? How am I affecting others? Am I encouraging Christians to pursue the life of faith with vigilance? And am I calling sinners to repent of rebellion and unbelief with diligence? Well, finally, we're in a culture where Christianity is becoming more and more marginalized. Christians are being more marginalized. Pastors are becoming more insignificant less influential in our culture, but it will always be true in the church and for God's people because he's ordained it that they will have pastors and that the people of God, the people of God will benefit by pa from pastors who are true and faithful. God's people have always had, always will, and always will have pastors that will serve them in the church. And we need to pray for our current pastors and pastors to come, that they'll be faithful and true to the calling that God has called them to, gifted them with, ordained them with, so that he might be glorified and that souls might benefit. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for your kindness in the way that you have constructed things in the church for your glory and lord we know from your word that each one of us each one of us is gifted by you each one of us is a significant part of the body of christ but we also know that you've gifted certain leaders to serve you in your church and we're thankful for that i'm sure that as with my experience others have experienced with great appreciation, faithful and true pastors who have meaningfully impacted our lives. Lord, we pray that you would always guard this pulpit and this church. 
And we do pray that you would continue to strengthen those who are faithful and true to your word. In the face of great temptation to compromise, to compromise to the world, to give in to own sinful desires, Lord, protect your faithful preachers. And we ask that you would multiply them, that many men would be equipped to take the positions of authority, of truth, and of care for your congregations. We come to you in the name of the one who is the great shepherd of all the under-shepherds that you've appointed, the ultimate pastor, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate preacher, our glorious Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.